right, so if you want to follow along, we're in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Um, there should be a Bible in the front of your, your pew. If you don't have a Bible, you do now. That could be your Bible. So we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We're, we're going <clears throat> verse by verse through the book of Mark. All right, so one of the interesting things about uh, being a pastor they don't prepare you for is that a pastor is simultaneously a manager of a facility. It, that wasn't in the class, okay? Um, so in, in doing that, I meet a lot of different people because stuff breaks a lot, okay? So I was, I was, meet, I meet, I was meeting a, a guy. He was fixing something in our building, and we had started chatting, <clears throat> and he had just mentioned, he was like, yo, I know about Jesus. I don't really go to church. And like as a pastor, I was like, man, I want to jump on that. But, but, but people also act really weird when they talk to pastors sometimes. So I was like trying to approach it in a non-weird way. So I was like, hey, man, I'm doing research. And I just want to understand, you know, you had mentioned to me that you don't, uh, you know about a church, you don't go to church. Like what's, what is your opinion? I ain't trying to do nothing to you. I just want to hear what you're going to say. And one of the things he said to me was, well, I used to go to church, but there's a lot of hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and, and does another. And, let, and let's be real. There are people that claim the name of Christ that are hypocrites, right? Let's just keep it 100. But here's the interesting thing. At the same time, there can be people, even, even in the same church, who might be hypocrites. But yet, at the same time, there can be people who are very sincere that God is producing a lot of good fruit in. And the question is, how can different people have the same access to good Bible teaching, yet have such different outcomes? They're hearing the same thing, right? Everybody today going to hear the same sermon. But depending on the posture of your heart, the fruit that's produced in you might differ. When you look at the, the scripture in Mark chapter 4, we have to understand that, that we have to cultivate the soil of our soul so that God can produce the fruit of devotion to him and good works of service to those around us. What I'm saying is it matters about, about the posture of your heart when you hear God's word to what degree that word is going to produce something good in you. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to dig more into it. Before we get in, let's pray. Father, would you please help us to understand your word? Would you give us a soul and a heart that want to produce fruit? Would you incline our ears to you and let our hearts say, Lord, we want to hear and not only hear, we want to obey. Produce good fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we look at verse 1, we got this truth that God wants to communicate with us. Verse 1 says, and again, he began to teach them by the sea, and a very huge crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and, and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things and parables, and in teaching, he said to them, then we'll continue. Here's the deal. A lot of us are so used to thinking about the fact 
that God teaches us that we don't realize how big of a miracle that is. Listen, God is so far above our understanding that unless he reveals himself to us, we will know nothing about him. We, 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 we cannot have an accurate perception of one who is infinitely above, purely divine, and we can't have a, an accurate perception of who he is unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. And the fact that God chooses to speak to us is an evidence of his grace and mercy to us. He could just be a lost. He could just be sitting somewhere. We have no idea. Can't have any conception of who he is. But that is the grace of God. Every time we see Jesus, we see him doing what? Teaching. We see him communicating with people. Why? Because if he doesn't, we have no way of knowing. You know, when someone teaches a, a complex topic to another, they are showing a lot of grace and patience. You know, there's a guy who came to me, he was a high school, he said, can you help me with math? I said, no, but my wife can. <laughs> and so they were, I saw them sitting at the table and, and they were talking about stuff that I didn't forgot about already. And they, but, but listen, it didn't just, right? It didn't just click, there was some, there, hey, do you understand this? Look at this. Do you understand how that works? Like there was a lot of patience explaining this complex topic. And the fact of the matter is my wife was being very gracious in order to spend the time to explain the complex topic. Now, listen, there is no more complex topic than the person of God. And God is showing so much grace to us that he would give us his very word so that we would understand who he is. And what I love about God's communication is, is in his grace, he uses imagery so that we may understand him and what he wants from us. I don't know if, you, if you've been familiar with the Bible, you get to understand that, that God communicates in, in word pictures so that we can understand. And the Bible is full of, like, the Bible is not simply a book of facts, right? It's not like one blank, two Blank. The Bible is full of stories and narratives and poetry and imagery, all these things. Listen, listen, God in his grace uses metaphors to communicate with us. And listen, when you know you're communicating something complex, you know you got to use an example. Light, you know, you know what this thing? No. Well, it's like when blah, 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 right? Right, you know when it's, when it's a complex thing, it is a gracious thing to co communicate in examples and metaphors. And that is exactly how God communicates with us. And it's not, it's not because he wants to be obscure, it's because he wants to communicate clearly with us. So I could take the statement, God loves you. Now listen, there's a lot of kind of love, right? Somebody can say I love you, I'm like, I don't even know if you're telling me the truth. Right? But God didn't just say, I love you. He says, I love you like a father loves his children. Now, that, that means way more than I just love. Oh, you mean like, oh, like you care about me? Like, 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 like you'll provide for me? You'll, you'll protect me? You see, the imagery actually helps you to understand at a greater degree. Or, or God, God can say, I, I, I love you. I love you like a husband 
loves his bride. God, you're saying you, you're making a commitment to me? That, 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 that you look at me with affection? It's not just like, I love you. No, no, you, you, you care deeply about me, and you said, I'm going to be with you to the very end. See, it is an act of grace that God uses all of these pictures, because if he just made these statements, our hearts wouldn't get the facts. But, but he condescends, he, he, he lowers himself, he stoops down low to communicate to us in such a way that we can understand. And guess what? Even when it's taking you a long time, he doesn't go, ah. He goes, well, let me, let me continue to stoop down low and communicate with you. And we get to verse 3, we, we get this, this idea that, that we need not just regular understanding, but spiritual understanding. Look at verse 3, he said, listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still, other seed fell on the good ground. And it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Here's the thing. Not everything that God teaches us in the scriptures is easy to understand. And if you ever read it, you'd be like, yeah, that's true. But look how he sandwiches this parable. The first thing he says is listen and consider. The idea of considering means you're going to have to take some time to think about it. it you, you have to, 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 to mull over it and ponder it. And then then he, he ends the parable and he says, let everyone who has ears to hear, listen. The reality is some things in the scripture, some things about God require meditation. It requires you to mull over it. But here's the deal. This is specifically a challenge to us because we live in an instant age. When I want to know something, I'll pull up my phone. I'm like, what about this? And then it instantly tells me what I need to know. And that trains you in a way that is actually the opposite of how God works and how you can understand. All throughout the scriptures, there is this encouragement to meditate, to think about something over and over and over again. That means that you're not necessarily going to understand everything God says immediately, but that you have to have the patience required to think deeply about God, to, to meditate on him. This is, this is the beautiful thing. In 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul says to Timothy, he says, consider, that's that word consider again, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, Paul is writing scripture, and he just, he's like, listen, I'm writing scripture. You're not going to understand everything I say immediately. But he didn't, then he didn't go, well, I guess you never understand. That's not what he says. He says, consider, think deeply. Why? Because as you think deeply, the Lord will give you understanding. Like, I just, I want to encourage you to grab a hold of some scripture and think about it over and over and over again. I, I can tell, there have been times, I remember particularly, I was, and when I was in college, I was studying Romans 6, 7, and 8. There's a lot, I had a lot of questions about, how do I be holy? How do I be holy? 
and I read it, and I'm like, I don't get it, and I read it, and I don't get it. And so for months, I just wrestled with these chapters. Lord, help me understand. I don't, I don't quite understand. I think I understand, but I don't understand it as much as I would like to. And as I pondered, the Lord in his grace gave understanding. But if I did not consider and I did not ponder, I would be ignorant. So that's my encouragement to you. Look, look if you hear something about God that you don't understand, you should expect that. But that shouldn't make you sad. The idea is that if you would consider and you would ponder, the Lord would give you understanding. Here's the deal. Here's the crazy thing. We actually need God's help to truly understand the teachings of Jesus. Well, how do you know? The scripture says that. 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is unable to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Translation, if God doesn't help you understand, you cannot understand. That means that that we approach the Lord with great humility, saying, Lord, I know that I can't understand on my own. But but if you, Lord, if you teach me, if you would grant me the spirit of understanding, Lord, then then I can know. Now, listen, when when Jesus says in verse three, when he says, listen, he's not saying listen in the sense of I just want you to cognitively hear the words that I'm saying. He's saying, listen, like a mom says, listen to her child. The mom's not just saying, I want you to like understand what I'm saying. What is she saying? You need to do what I'm saying. It's not just you heard it and you, oh, I understand what you said, but I'm going to go ahead and do my business. No, 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 no. When you listen, you listen in such a way that you obey. Listen, the idea of hearing God's word comes side by side with the idea of obeying God's word. Hearing and obeying in scriptural language is not two different things. It's one thing. If you accurately heard it, you obeyed it. If you didn't obey it, you didn't hear it. You see what I'm saying? We have to ask God for spiritual understanding. We have to ask God for for spiritual ears. Listen, if Jesus says it's true, him who has ears, let him hear. Well, I guess I just can't hear it. I need some extra ears or something. If Jesus says that we need to have spiritual ears to hear, then we should ask him for them, right? Lord, I don't know what you said. Can you help me? And in Ephesians 1.17, it's one of my favorite prayers. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in the knowledge of him. Listen, Paul is probably the best Bible teacher that has ever existed. And he says, in order for you to understand this, I can't simply explain it to you. I actually have to pray that Jesus would give you spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And here's the beautiful thing. If God commands us to ask, then he intends to answer. If if God says, I want you to ask me for understanding, he ain't going to be like, hot psych. No, 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 no. If, if I'm telling you, if I'm saying, look, look, ask you for this thing. Let's do it. Can you ask? I don't know. No, I, didn't, I told you to ask. Now I'm going to give it to you. Listen, listen, that is God's grace. And Jesus, get this, Jesus reveals his teaching 
to those who actually follow him. Look at verse 10. When he was along, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. He answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. And they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. And y'all hearing that going, what? Why would he not want that? So let's, let's explain. The followers of Jesus followed up with him. They heard something confusing. What is that? When they were alone, they said, hey, Jesus, I heard you just say that though, right? What? What? (laughs) Can you help me understand? I don't know what you was talking about. They could have just been secretly confused, right? I don't know. What are you talking about? I don't know. But but no, no. Instead, they had the boldness to pursue Jesus for more understanding. That should be encouragement to you. You don't understand? You draw near to him. Say, Jesus, help me. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand your word, but but help me to understand. Jesus grants understanding to those who follow him. Because we read the whole story. He he says, oh, you don't know? Well, let me tell you what it is, right? Then he goes on to explain what it means. Here's the difference. Here's what you need to understand. The posture of your heart determines the answer you receive. In, in the Gospels, there's a difference between the crowds who follow him or the crowds who show up sometimes to hear him teach and to get some food and those who follow him. There's a difference between the crowds who are like, that's interesting. What is he doing? To those who said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Listen, what you need to understand is this, is that, that Jesus is not interested in simply entertaining you. Jesus is not interested in simply giving you a spectacle that you can go, oh, that's interesting. With the crowds, let's, let's just keep it 100. I know that some of them were like, well, everybody else is over here. What, what are you doing over there? I heard he got extra bread and everything. You know what I'm saying? They just, they're like, what, what, man, I got a little lamp. Maybe he can fix my knee. You know, I mean, they just like, like what, what, can we, what can we see today? It didn't cost them much. They can go back to their house and do whatever they was doing. But then there were those who said, I hear you, and I want to follow you. And to those, he gave understanding. So again, Jesus is not interested in you going, that's kind of cool, I guess. That's not who he gives spiritual understanding to. But the ones who say, I hear you, and I want to follow you. Those he gives understanding. Now, let's, let's get to the hard sayings. Why is Jesus saying he don't want to forgive nobody? What's going on in verse 12? Jesus, a lot of times, he quotes the Old Testament. And this is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. When God called the prophet Isaiah, the people of God up to that point had been rejecting God for hundreds of years. Okay? And God is about fed up with. And he goes, you know what? As an act of judgment on them, I'm not going to let them understand. Now, remember, he's not just saying that he ain't listened to me one time. Hundreds of years. They're like, "Mm." God's like, well, whatever. Here's the reality. The reason that they could not get forgiveness is because they did not have genuine 
repentance. You hear me? The reason that they didn't have forgiveness is because they were like the crowds and they heard and it was interested, but they had no intention of doing anything that the word of God said. However, if we come with the posture of saying, Lord, what you say I want to do, that is repentance, yeah? What you say I want to do, beloved, there is forgiveness there. When Jesus comes to, to people and he preaches, he says two things. He says, believe and repent. And a lot of time we isolate it to believe. I believe, no, and repent. Repent means I ain't going to just do what I want to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Genuine repentance, that is what forgiveness is attached to. Now he gets real, he, he explains all the different postures of receiving God's word, right? You got the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like the seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of the age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those like the seed sown on the good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. Here's the reality. We have to receive God's word for salvation and growth. In Christ, there's this initial reception, but then there's this ongoing posture of I continually need your word. And without the continual reception of your word, I will not grow. So we, we, we initially accept it. Like, like Romans 10 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised us from the dead, you will be saved. That's the initial Confession. And everyone who is a, a Christian at some point heard the word about Christ and personally believed. Yet we have to grow in our ability to follow and imitate Christ. And this happens by receiving, hearing, and obeying God's word consistently. Not just one time. So he goes on to talk about different, different things that could block that, right? Is that we have an adversary, Satan, that tempts us not to believe God's word. Now, the first story in the Bible, one of the first ones, is, is when Satan went to tempt Adam and Eve. Right? And what he said to them is, did God really say? Well, he, 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 he tempts us to believe that God does not have our best interests in mind. That's how I said that. Like, 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 like somebody hears about Jesus and be like, well, I have, I'll have to give up like the stuff I really like, and then I'll just be bored all the time. Like, he, that, that is Satan saying, listen, listen, he don't really want you, he don't really want you to have fun. He don't want you to have no joy. He don't want you to have nothing. If you understand all you have to give up to go to him, he probably just wants to fool you. He probably just wants to let you be a puppet. Listen, listen, that is the, 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 the rise of Satan. Not only that, Satan says, look, look, man, if, if you eat that fruit, do you, will you really die? Are you sure, are, are you sure that he's going to keep his promise? That's the other way, right? 
When we're following God and maybe it's getting hard, you hear these whispers in their ears say, he's actually not going to do what he said. And if we succumb to the temptations of Satan, that he doesn't have our best, that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, and that he will not fulfill the promises, then we will not bear fruit. That's one. The second one is that there is a, a distress or persecution can call us to fall away. See, listen, we need to have deep roots in Christ. What this means is we have to have realistic expectations of what it means to follow Christ. One of the greatest damages to the church is that people say, if you follow Christ, everything in your life will get better. And then everything in your life might get better a little bit, but then what happens when it gets bad again? Then you go, well, they said that everything would get better, therefore God is a liar. But that's not what the apostles said about following Jesus. When, when the apostles would plant churches, after they would get people saved, here's what they would say. They would say, listen, listen, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, I, I had this conversation the other day, um, and it was with I, I have a group of friends from college, and we were having this conversation about, I graduated like 10 years ago. So like, how come so many of our friends who used to walk with the Lord, don't walk with him no more. It's, it's a lot of them. And we were pondering that, like, what, what, what happened? And, and, and as, as I thought about the specific stories of individuals I knew, I realized that there's a hardship that comes, and they weren't ready. They thought that following Jesus would be all walking through the park. And then stuff hit the fan, and they're like, this is not what I signed up for. That means that somebody did a bad job of telling them what they actually signed up for. Jesus says, follow me. How? Pick up your cross. Does that sound like a walk in the park to you? No, but you have to have an accurate assessment of what you were signing up. But I want to say, it is possible to have real joy in Christ and simultaneously be suffering in this life. When you hear sign of a suffering, you're like, well, what do I get? No, you get the assurance of forgiveness, the grace of the Holy Spirit that produces joy and peace in you. Even if your life isn't as you expected it to be, you get Jesus. It's, this is a reminder. Listen, you got to understand. Our ultimate hope is, is everlasting life in Christ, not something in this world. And so if you're so fixated on the world and things being peaceful around you, you will miss what is really promised. That there is going to come a day when there, that all there will be is righteousness. And that if I endure with him, I get to get that with him. Listen, listen. I want to harp on this point just a little bit because I am zealous about this issue, that, that, that people are consistently leaving Christ because they were not given an accurate picture of what it means to follow him. I want you to understand, every apostle who preached Christ, they all died through suffering. If our Savior suffered, if his first followers suffered, do not think it's strange 
that you would suffer as well. Why? Why? Because listen, if, if Jesus is putting his kingdom on the inside of you, that is full of his goodness and his grace, what kind of world do you live in, y'all? Is it all good out there? No, there's a rub. And if God puts goodness inside of you, it's going to rub against the evil that exists in our world. So, so don't think it's strange, y'all. All right, so next. He, said, he says various desires and worries can ch- choke out the world. The first thing he says is like earthly, worldly cares. The way I translate this is that the, the, the culture does not always value what Jesus says is good. Okay? And our culture, what's, what the culture says is good, it's interesting. I, I was... I was watching TV with my son yesterday, and we were watching football, and he was like, why are all these commercials on? Why are there so many? And I was like, let's talk about capitalism, son. You know, <laughs> they, they want you to buy stuff. That's why they are. And our culture says you don't have enough. You never have enough, and you need more and more and more. And listen, if you believe that, that will choke out the word of God. Because the word says godliness with contentment is great wealth. Listen, if you desire exactly what the broader culture desires, that's going to go to war with the desire to do what Jesus wants you to do. All right? Then he says that there's, there's this desire for wealth that could, that could choke out the word. And the scripture says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The thing about wealth is is, it's not sometimes always about the money itself. It's about the status associated with it, right? It's it's about, look, how do they see I got money? Do they see I'm successful? Do they see what I have done? See, desiring others to like you can go to war against your obedience with God. And then there's this idea that you can just have inordinate desires. Here's the deal. We all have desires, and God has given them for our good, but when our desires become the chief good, it can choke out what God is doing in our life. Let me just make it plain. Let's say, let's say, hey, man, I I really want to provide for my family. That is a good desire. God gives you that. But in that, if I let that desire consume me to the point where then I begin to to choke out all the time for the church, and I begin to choke out all the time with, with other believers. And But I say, but no, but, but, but the desire is because I want to provide. But, but I use that good desire, and it overshadows the ultimate desire. That can choke out the world. So the question is this. What is this word that we ought to pay attention to? Right? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you, better, you, need, you need to prepare your heart to receive this word. The, word. the word initially is the word of the gospel, this truth that God loves you, that Jesus Christ died for you, that he rose from the dead, and he offers you unconditional love and grace through the Holy Spirit. I need that every day. You need that every day. 
Because every day I see my own sin, and I'm like, are we cool today? And Jesus is like, yeah, I died for you. We cool today, okay? <laughs> like every day I need to see that. I need to hear that. But not only do we need the word of the gospel, we actually need the whole counsel of God. The, the, what all the scriptures teach. And what do the scriptures teach? They teach us about who God is. We need to constantly be in God's word so that we understand that he is immutable. That's a fancy word. He does not change. That he is omnipotent, that there is nothing that is, that, is, that is too hard for him to do. That he is all wise so I can trust him, that he is faithful, he will do what he said, that he is merciful, that he is glorious. I need the word of God about who God is to strengthen my faith. And the word of God also tells us about who we are. Listen, the Bible says that we are valuable and loved because we were created by God in his image. And at the same time, we are fallen and flawed with a predisposition to sin. The Bible tells us what we should do. It tells us how we should think. What do we set our mind on? It tells us the things that we should say. Do we, do we need to speak evil? Do we need to speak lies about our neighbor? It tells us how we should act. And it shows us the method of prayer. I need to constantly have the word of God in front of me so that I would know who God is, who I am, what he wants me to do, and how I should pray. And the more I put the word of God in front of me, the more assurance that I will have of what he is saying to me. So the goal is that, that we have to cultivate good spiritual soil. What is, what is the attitude that, that we should have as we listen to God's word? whether it's read or whether it's preached. How, how should we, what is the posture? The catechism that we go through with the kids, it, it asks that very question, how should we hear God's word? And it says, with diligence, preparation, and prayer, so that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. It says that we need diligent attention. Listen, this is not like reading a Facebook or an Instagram feed. I know you've been there. You're just scrolling. What you doing? Nothing. You know what I'm saying? You're kind of looking at it. You're not really looking at it. That's not the posture that we approach God's word with. But diligent attention. We are truly seeking to listen carefully and understand. Somebody said, said, are you a preacher or a teacher? Well, I, I hope I'm both, but, but I know I'm called to teach because you're called to understand. And if, you, if I'm not teaching, what you going to understand? We need to have a posture of humility and a willingness to obey. That means when we come to God's word, when we come to hear his word, that we have a deep understanding that we need his help. That we are not simply seeking to evaluate God's word, but we want God's word to evaluate us. That we want to understand because we want to obey. And that we have to have a posture of prayer. One of my favorite prayers is a lot of times when I think about reading God's word. It's Psalm 119, 18. It says, open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. He's saying, I, I know there's wonderful things for me to, to, to see, but I, I can't see the wonderful things unless you open my eyes so that when I read it, I can see it. You know, I, I'm not really a farmer, but I did try to, to have a garden, okay? 
And when I mean a garden, I'm talking about a little vista, okay? But one of the things they tell you when you're starting a garden is you have to have the right soil, right? And you, I, you, we had to, like, me and my wife, we went to Home Depot or Lowe's, wherever we went, and it was like, you're looking for the soil that has nutrients in it. I didn't even know soil has nutrients. Well, soil can have nutrients in it. You're looking for the right kind of soil so that when you put the seed in there, that it begins to grow and you can get the vegetable or the fruit that you're trying to produce. Listen, we have a need that the soil of our soul would be full of nutrients so that we could receive the word of God and bear fruit. You're like, well, how will we get the nutrients? I'm really glad you asked. Let's go over it. How do I get these nutrients? I want some fruit. It's going to be real simple. We go to church. You know, one of the nutrients that you need is that you would confess your sins and you would be assured that God would, be, that God would forgive you. Do you understand what, how that makes the posture of your heart go, God, oh, he loves me. I don't, have to, I don't have to hide anything from him. In fact, he sees all of my flaws and says, I forgive you. We need that confession and, repent, and repentance. What are the nutrients we need? We need that, that, those prayers. Listen, when we prayed together this morning and I heard uh, different people pray about different things, I'm like, oh, that was good. And that was good. I need to remember to pray for that. Like, I need that nutrients that, that when we're singing and reciting psalms and we're singing hymns and spiritual songs, that is the nutrient so that when the word of God goes down, there's, there's something that it can draw on. We need to have the nutrients of private uh, and personal devotions. That, that we spend time with the Lord, that, we, that, we, that it's not simply on Sunday or when we're with somebody else, but that when we are by ourselves, we have our personal place of prayer. We need to have the nutrients, this idea that, that, that all of my life is lived intentionally for God. You know, you can live a very un unexamined life. You can just go through the motions. Or with the Lord, you could go through, what are the things that I need to do? How should I structure my week? Who do I need to spend time with? Who do I not need to spend time? All of that, all of that is nutrients that the word of God will produce fruit in you. And the last thing that we need is, is we need transparent accountability. Because here's the reality. You and I cannot always see our souls clearly. And we need to have somebody in our lives that we would love and trust enough that can say, hey, look, man, look, when you do that thing, that's not cool. And you not get offended. <laughs> but you can just, listen, listen, I, I ain't trying to mess with you. I want your good, but, but I need you to look at me and see, is there something in my heart that would block the reception of God's word, that would block the producing of fruit of love for God and neighbor? If that's the case, I want you to say it to me and say it to me in love and truth. Listen, if you don't have that, you can find those relationships in the context of the church. Listen, look at me. Examine my life. Is there an area where I need to repent because I want to grow? So when we gather together, when we have personal devotions, when we have transparent accountability, that, that's how we produce that good soil. And I don't know about you, I want some good soil. I want the Lord to produce something good in me. So I'm going to get all the nutrients I can. And I'm going to seek 
to be, be cognizant when Satan is tempting me, when the desires for other things are drawing me, and when affliction and persecution comes, I'm not going to be surprised because, because I was accurately prepared. And I can say, Lord, give me your word so that I might produce fruit for your glory. We all have to pray that we would have that good soil so that God can produce good fruit in and through us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you make us good soil? Lord, 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 clear out any of the, 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 the crud, the thorns, uh, 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 any the rocks, anything that would, would block you from producing that good fruit in us. Lord, I pray that this church would be a garden that bears so much fruit for your glory. That the name of Jesus would be exalted and that, that our neighbors would be served and helped. Lord God, that you would produce something that we cannot produce by ourselves. But by the power of the Spirit, you would give us willing hearts and obedient minds so that Jesus would be honored in and through us. We ask this all in his name and for his glory.